I remember in the very beginning when grief would just try to swallow me whole and I would hear that voice would just break through all of the grief saying, I got him. He's okay. And I lived off of that for weeks on end of just clinging to the voice of Jesus telling me, I got him. It's okay. And the reality is, he's got him. And it's okay. Hi, and welcome to Everyday Impact a Life Tree podcast inspiring you to take Jesus into your everyday life. My name is Will. And I'm Caleb. And Caleb, what do we have today to listen to? Uh, I got to sit down with Tim and Jen Van Acker, a couple from our church, who have been through clearly one of the most difficult chapters of their life, the loss of their son. And what you're about to listen to is full of difficult content for sure, Because by listening to their story, we're in many ways stepping into their suffering and their grief with them on some level. The reason I wanted us to record this and do this together is because in my journey of walking with them throughout this time, I find myself constantly walking away from my times with them filled with encouragement and Hmm. strength and hope because there's this grace of God that they are leaning into and tapping into in the midst of this difficult season. So my hope is as you listen, you're getting a bit of lesson on what it is to walk with God in the midst of grief. Mm -hmm. Well, I may not have lost a son, but I've experienced measures of pain and I would sure love to know how to manage those seasons better. I trust you're going to be learning as you listen to this. So let's jump into it. Well, sitting down here today with Tim and Jen Van Acker. Great to have you guys here. Thanks. It's good to be here. What we're wanting to focus in on today is some of the journey that you guys have been through over this last year and even before that. People who know you guys already from the community probably have a good idea what that is, but there's going to be people who don't. But just to, to say you guys lost your son uh, Pat, he passed away just over a year ago, May 23rd, 2020. 24th, yeah. 24th, okay. And one of the things that's really struck me over this last year as I've journeyed alongside you guys is just the way you guys have walked this out. Obviously, extremely hard, difficult uh, chapter of your life, and yet there's this richness to your walk with the Lord that I have witnessed. And so I'm really personally feel privileged to know you guys, privileged to have you a part of my life, and really privileged to get to share some of that journey with whoever's going to end up listening in to this recording. So just thank you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you for saying yes, being willing. Mm -hmm. Maybe before we dive into some of that story, it would just be good even since I'm sitting here with both of you (laughs) to get a kind of introduction to Tim and Jen. You know, we'll we'll take it back. How did you guys meet, end up getting (laughs) married, that sort of stuff? Let's let's start there. (laughs) So give us a bit of that story first. Well, I would, I had just become a new Christian at around age 19. And through 
that year of my life, I ended up uh, living in her parents' basement. They had a room available, and we'd known the family for quite a while because my sister's actually married to her brother. I know, sounds weird, but uh, it worked for them, so... Uh, <laughs> anyways, I was living down there and one day Jen asked me if I would give her a ride on my motorcycle. That was his mode of transportation. Yeah, that was my mode of transportation. And well, needless to say, she got the ride on the motorcycle and things kind of just kept going from there. So <laughs> I do remember distinctly about half a year into our time of dating where she basically said to me that she has three kids. Um, she doesn't have any time to waste. Either we're getting married or I can hit the road. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I had some uh, fairly quick decisions to make, but um, God's been behind the whole thing. And... Yeah, so here we are, married 25 years later, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's certainly not been easy, um, but it's been rich, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, not easy for her being married to you, or not easy for you? <laughs> I think we probably lean more towards um, it not being easier for her being married <laughs> to me, if we're going to be honest. Okay. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's still, it's been good. It's been rich. So, Jen, anything you'd like to add to, <laughs> to the story there? Yeah, I'm, I was brought up in the church and was a Christian and got married um, youngish and popped out three kids in quick succession. Yeah. And then after nine years kind of said, told him to leave because what we had was not what I knew God had imagined marriage to be or wanted marriage to be. Right. I didn't know what it was supposed to look like, but I knew that what I had, um, that wasn't it. Yeah. And it was more about the willingness to change that became the breaking point. So at 29... With three kids, my divorce went through the church, kind of, and it got to a point where um, there was an associate pastor, and he was more the only person in that church, really, that understood the mechanics of what I was leaving, that marriage. Right. And in the end, I did withdraw my membership from that church, and I told God that, you know what, fine, you can go sit on the shelf, do what you want. You know, it can't be any worse without you than when it was type attitude. Right. So I did that for about three years on my own. And then I decided that I'd finished with my running stage and I got off the shelf and kind of said, okay, we have to make peace here. And, you know, because I know my life will never be as good as it's going to be without you in it. Yeah. So I was Wise just... Wise words. <laughs> I was just starting coming from that point of just getting back into church and God and and Tim showed up. I mean, like you said, we knew of everybody, of each other because of our brother and sister getting married. So right. the whole family was, you know. Um, they were actually very much against it. It was quite interesting. Uh, we won't go into details because they're all 
they could listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> we got a, quite a bit of kickback yeah, as yeah. far as yeah. getting married. I mean, well, she was 30 at the time, and I was then 20, 20. and I didn't have a clue what I was doing about anything. So yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> Not a clue. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we got married, and it was... Um, First 15 years were really, really rough. Okay. A few things stand out. You know, we went to Arnie Toes for counseling. Yeah. And him talking to Tim and saying basically everything that Tim had told him about the reasons why he could get angry and be that way was because of somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. Right. And Arnie Toes, you know, this little guy... He's shaking away and you know, he scooches forward in his seat and he says to Tim, that is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> so that phrase kind of yeah. started Tim on a bit of a journey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we finally started, because um, Larry and Louise would try and talk to us about this different kind of faith than what we had been experiencing. And they tried and tried no, just and tried to and tried. Jump in, so that's the your uh, brother, brother, brother and sister. And sister. Yeah. 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 So then, after trying to reach out to us a few times, we started listening to some of the teachers that they were talking about, and we started off. However, our marriage was so damaged, mm-hmm. and there was so little left of it that Tim did his journey over here and I did my journey over here. And eventually after, you know, years, many years, we finally came together and started going like that. Yeah. And that's about the time that we ended up coming to life tree. Okay. Yeah. 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 A whole life changes were happening, you mm-hmm. know, got married, had Emmy. Two years later we had Isaiah. Okay. And we were, well established in life tree. That's another journey. And then things with Isaiah started hitting the road. Skids when he was about fifteen, sixteen. Mm-hmm. And it started out with the pot and the alcohol. <laughs> Remember sitting in our living room, we had a glass top coffee table and Isaiah came home and he was just wasted twisting around on the floor with the spins and i have this picture of us sitting and we had by that point we were taking in other people that needed a home quote unquote so we were all sitting around and i remember isaiah bracing himself on the coffee table and just barfing (laughs) all over the coffee table we just sat there like "Hmm, okay all right, somebody get him up. <laughs> and then it evolved to, you know, he'd have his friends over and they were into marijuana by that point. Right. And I said, okay, the rule is you can have macaroni and water. That's it. You don't eat anything else in my kitchen. If you want to go out and do that, then that's what you can eat. And yeah, kind of progressed worser and worser and worser. Right. So. You mentioned some of the journey that began with Isaiah, and obviously today we want to talk mm-hmm. around that journey that you had with your son. So for those who, uh, you know, who aren't familiar with the story, I um, would love to just hear from you guys how 
that journey with Isaiah began and progressed. And uh, just wanting maybe just give us some of that. Uh, he was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of two, and we had a lot of wrestling with putting him on ADHD medicine, which we did try for a period of time, and it certainly did help. Um, but there's a number of struggles of you know medicating your kid and, and things that come with that. Um, as he grew older, he went to uh, Stelly's secondary, and... I don't know if he necessarily got in with the wrong crowd, uh, but he just, he did. He started using pot. Um, I think some of the backstory uh, to help fill in some of what his struggle was is uh, I spent many years focusing on my work and not necessarily on my kids. And, you know, there's a lot that, can be said about that, but I think to sum it up simply, he felt a lack of me really engaging with him. And maybe even better stated, um, he felt less important because I was not necessarily skilled at building him up. And I feel that that led to a lot of his uh, experimentation uh, he was also a very intense child. He always has been, um, <laughs> um, which certainly didn't help matters at all. He, he was always the kid that if there was a bunch of kids pointing to the kid on the school roof, he was the one on the school roof. Um, that was Isaiah to a T. And um, so he would start experimenting with harder drugs from Stelly's. Um, and I, well, before that, even when he was just using the pot, um, because of how he is built to be that extreme personality, um, it gave him a sense of not being that extreme because it right. kind of toned down that ADHD yeah. and it helped him be more social. And I remember thinking at the time, I can't fault him. Cause I know that's what it did. Right. And I, I knew that that's what he was looking for and it was providing that. Like he was making more friends. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. yeah. And so I really struggled with saying yes or no. Um, I mean, not that I could control him anyways, yeah. but at that point, but. He understood. Yeah. What, yeah. He wasn't just getting high. He was yeah. getting a community yeah. through it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of that. So these are these years we're focusing on right now are in that like grade ten to twelve age range. I'm guessing based on what you guys yeah nine nine, nine, nine ten. ten nine ten okay and uh, and then he started getting obviously into harder drugs you guys have mentioned and so yeah. as he comes out of high school I'm assuming that progression continued yeah. on and you guys as parents watching this journey with your son. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, heartbroken, but also like, what do we do? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like you say, you can't control people. Yeah. Right. And so what did that season of journeying with your son as he wrestles through his addiction look like? There was a large period where I was wrestling with what I was doing wrong. Right. And I've always known that 
I'd had a lot of struggles. I mean, Jen alluded to that, me being angry, though, very angry for the first 15 years of our marriage. Now, I, I praise God that he's brought me to a point now where that's, you know, we have a wonderful marriage instead of a marriage where she's struggling with an, an angry individual. Mm-hmm. However, I know that left its mark on Isaiah, and I know that that added to his struggle. And so I was having a lot of struggle with how do I navigate him through this but I was still using tactics of kind of strong handing conversations and things like that which he would only you know the older he got and the more independent he got the more he fought back yeah. mm-hmm. and I do distinctly remember I don't know exactly where in the journey but I remember one day sitting in our living room and him and I were going at it and he was pretty upset and I got to a point where I was about to respond to something that he said. And all of a sudden, it was like this, um, I want to call it a wave of peace. But I don't know if that's the best description for it. It was this understanding that at this particular moment, I needed to back down. Mm. He needed me to back down. Mm. And, you know, I'm a big guy and I know, um, I don't feel like a big guy, but I know I present as a big guy and that it can be intimidating. And I know I've been intimidating to him at times. And God just told me at that moment to sit down. So I did. I sit down, I sat down, I took a very large breath. And in that moment, I watched him calm right down. And all of a sudden there was this epiphany of, of how to navigate this relationship with him, that it was way more important that I'm walking in the peace of God while I'm interacting with him rather than trying to control what's happening in Mm. his life. And for me, that set off a a chain reaction of, of dealing with all sorts of different people in different ways and was really a, a, a turning point, if you will, for me. It's just, it's so marked in my mind that uh, I just, I know that, that at that particular point, that's what God wanted me to learn. And it, I'm so thankful for it because it marked what the rest of our relationship would be while he was still alive. It gave me opportunity to demonstrate to him that I loved him, mm. which was something that I know he thought, but I don't know if he nev- necessarily sensed that to a, any strong degree during his childhood. And it was, yeah, it was an opportunity to now express that in a way where, and he tested it. He certainly tested it. Um, he, there was times when he was as awful as he could possibly be to see if he could push me. And I, you know, I know those times, um, that that's what was going on. And the interesting part about it is the harder it got, the greater God's grace on Mm -hmm. me to allow me to enter into that place of peace. And I think that's one of the, you know, there's a number of them. That's one of the precious parts about the journey was having God intervene Mm. in spite of me. Sorry. Um, Good. 
he did grade nine, he did grade 10, sort of. And then he went back and tried to do grade 10 again, and it was pointless. School for him, he, it left him with a very bad taste in his mouth because yeah. he is not the kind of person that can sit down for five hours and learn. Right. You know, he needs to move. He needs to visually and audibly learn. Um, and school, although they tried over the years, as he went into different grades, the level of structure lessened. Of course, they do that to kind of try and prepare you for life. But he could not, it was really, really hard for him to, to succeed in so much um, less structure. He yeah. needed that structure to be able to tell him, you know, here's a wall, here's a wall, here's a wall. You know, he's just going to keep bouncing against um, to see if it's real, to see mm -hmm. if it'll, mm -hmm. you know, move. And at home, it was no different. So halfway through grade 10, he, uh, he dropped out of school. And then somewhere in there, he was banned from going to the property because he would go there. The school. Yeah, the school and meet his friends and do drugs. Mm -hmm. And they said, okay, you can't come back to the property, to the school. And this is, I guess, when we started getting um, the police coming around and... We got to a point where he wasn't working, he wasn't in school, yeah. and I thought, okay, we can't continue this because home life was home life was pretty hard mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. in, in a nutshell, um, heroin was his drug of choice, although he did try a, a number of other ones. When he would first take it, he would get very violent. It became really challenging when he was high, especially for that first hour, hour and a half um, mm -hmm. to have him at home. So it got to the point where I said, you need to move out. So he did. He ended up moving downtown, living in Beacon Hill Park with a lot of the um, street youth mm -hmm. that at that time yeah. we were ministering to by going to sanctuary right every weekend and yeah. you know hanging out with these kids and making sure they got fed and stuff like that and it was actually quite bizarre to be there serving at sanctuary and have him walk in the door mm -hmm. right it was it was just a, it was a really it was a challenging season because um, there's this one point where we took him we got him some food and then he wanted us to drop him off at his place and his place actually was it was a um, an abandoned building on fort that was scheduled for um uh, renovation or something of that nature anyways uh, we drove into the parking lot into the back of this place and he proceeded to go in crawl underneath the building wow. and that's where he was living at that point in time and he's like oh, do you want to come see my place and i'm like no, not right now, love, thanks. <laughs> so we got to a point in the journey where I realized that at any point in time, we could get a phone call from the police saying he was dead, mm -hmm. that he'd overdosed and they found his body. And I thought, I can't, I can't live with that. And of course, he's always asking to come back home. And we were trying to be firm and trying to um, 
yeah, well, just really be not enable and not enable him and enable his behavior. But I mean, that was such a challenge and such a such a journey to try to navigate something. And we tried so many different things. I mean, and I have to pause and give a shout out to God because when we were helping at sanctuary, Mm. um, they all knew Isaiah from the streets and then they connected out who we actually were. We were Isaiah's parents and in a really, it wasn't twisted for God. It was twisted for me (laughs) since, you know, it gave us an open door into more of these kids lives because um, of Isaiah and how we were able to kind of get that access it to a more personal level than right. just a normal volunteer yeah. serving food. Which is just like God. That's so many times in our lives when we were struggling with something or at our worst, he would do something and turn it into a ministry to other people. Mm-hmm. We've had that happen to us. Now that he was back home, I mean, he would try to get a job and he'd hold it for a little bit until he'd show up at work high. Then he yeah. usually lose his job. And he went through so many jobs. That it was, it was ridiculous. But what it usually looked like was we'd be upstairs. He was living downstairs. He had a, a number of different girlfriends at the time. Mm-hmm. And my, let's call it religiousness, this whole idea of, you know, you know, my kids aren't going to have their girlfriends in the house type. All that stuff, you know, you know. Slowly fall by the wayside. <laughs> all those kind of things became less and less important because to a large degree, I was constantly fighting for my son's life, you know. And it got to the point where I didn't bat an eye at, at the fact that he'd asked me to go grab him a pack of smokes and I'd go get him a pack of smokes. And I remember talking it out with God, going, I am so different. You know, I talked to me a few years back and I would never have done something Mm -hmm. like that before. But now I realize that there's just so much more, something so much more important, um, you know, his emotional and spiritual well-being that all this other stuff is just surface stuff. Um, Part I was going to share is we would be upstairs and the banging would start. That was always the tell. So we knew immediately that it's time to grab the Narcan kit. Um, we had needles stashed all over the house, prepped and ready to go. Mm. We'd go downstairs and, um, well, one of the events, he was behind a locked door and there was a lot of banging and then uh, it was quiet. Yeah. He wouldn't, he wouldn't open the door and I started bashing on the door until I broke the door down. There was his body and he was blue. He wasn't breathing. And we'd, you know, I'd start mouth to mouth. We'd tried sometimes there's a couple times there we did had to do chest compressions to get his heart going again. And we'd give him multiple Narcan shots to counteract the, the drugs in his system. And, you know, um, by the grace of God, he'd survive. But we'd go through this. And the first couple of times we were pretty traumatized by the whole event. Yeah. But after a while, we just got numb to the whole thing and it would just, okay, this is happening. And what was really interesting in the middle of all that, um, is I found myself, um, saying, 
as I was doing it, and I wasn't conscious of myself. I became conscious that I was doing it, but um, I wasn't initially conscious that I was saying he will live and not die mm -hmm. and declare the works of the Lord. And just as we'd go through the motions, now that we'd gotten really good at getting these needles prepped and getting it into him, and you know, many, many times before he'd actually go down and he was butt naked, I'd hold my arms open to give him a hug. And he'd come for a hug. And as soon as I started wrapping my arms around him, he says, I know what you're doing, because he'd clue in at that point. But by then I'd had the needle in his butt mm. and I'd be able to give him the injection. And uh you know, he'd still be quite violent, but he would calm down a lot quicker um, with the Narcan. But that sort of, as odd as it may sound, those events became routine. Yeah. For the last, at least the last year of his life, we did that on a regular basis. You know, yep. we'd get a reprieve because when he'd come um, down off the drugs, he would sleep. You know, sometimes there's a few points in there. He slept 21, 22 hours mm. straight um, before the whole cycle would start again. So we would get some reprieve in the middle of it. Sounds intense. You know, it's uh, got to be grueling and difficult to watch your own kid go through what you guys have been describing, mm -hmm. what you did go through. Uh, and yet there is this. Um, grace that I have seen and witnessed on you guys throughout the journey. And I'd like to like hone in on maybe some of that, but even just to, to bring it to the point, it was this long battle mm -hmm. of watching your son battle with addiction, mm -hmm. uh, you know, seeking to maintain connection with him and relationship and you mm -hmm. let him come back into the house, mm -hmm. right. In pursuit of that. Um, but eventually the, you know, the mm -hmm. end of Isaiah's journey mm -hmm. um, came at a young age, right? Well, uh, we, we just, we do have to, when we talk about the grace of God, we have to back that up just yeah. a little bit once again. Um, so because he was on the streets yeah. um, and so he lived on the streets for a while, but then he came back home, but he would go downtown and spend a lot of time down there because that's, of course, where the, the dealers were. And although, although he'd tried detox, we, we tried all sorts of things to get him um, get him clean. Like, the, the list is very long. But in the middle of all that, God got him connected to Jeremy fast. And Jeremy mm -hmm. um, decided, hey, you know, we should do some motocross stuff. And uh, basically... Over a very short period of time, through Jeremy, God got a hold of Isaiah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we got to the point where I was baptizing my son in, in a hot tub. Um, really, I look back on it now, and I know that God was answering my prayers yeah. to save my kids. And although I would never have wanted the outcome that we ended up with, um, Jesus got a hold of my boy mm -hmm. before he went home mm. so that he could go home. And I'm not going to say it doesn't hurt, but at the same time that it... 
At the same time that the pain is still quite fresh and quite raw, there is an overwhelming joy in my heart because I know mm-hmm. that I'm going to see my boy again. Yeah. Yeah. Not only am I going to see my boy again, I know that right now, Satan can't touch him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the horror that we witnessed, all the demonic stuff that yeah. happened, can never happen to him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is a peace that comes with that knowledge that, you know, as the word says, it passes all understanding. I, I don't understand how, at the same time, that I can still feel immense grief that I can't interact with my boy, that at that exact same time, I have an overwhelming joy in me knowing where he is, Mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, he's able to interact with Jesus right now and that my father has him in the palm of his hand is taking such good care of him. There is... One of the things God told me, very shortly after he passed. Um, and I was, I guess I was kind of numb. I didn't have a whole lot of, I mean, I did have reactions, but it, it just, I felt kind of numb. And God was saying to me, you know, he's learning about love yeah. from the author of love. Yeah. It's not a parent kind of hit and miss type thing because we're human too. It's that perfect, pure, um, Noel Bars held um, love that he is understanding now. And when we see him again, we will get to talk to him about that mm-hmm. and about all the things that he's learned um, in the wake of us coming up and joining him um, is very exciting. Um, God gave me, I don't know if I can call it a vision. I, I, I'm not really too worried about what to refer to it as, but it, uh, this sight of him, um, yeah. the moment we cross over, waiting there for us to say, Dad, come here, check this out. Mm-hmm. Just in the same way that he would, always with such intensity and just hardly able to contain himself with the desire to show me everything that God has taught him during this time Mm -hmm. that we've been apart. Mm -hmm. And there's something in that that gives me an immense amount of strength to say, thank you, Father. Um, There was a conversation that I've had um, with a very good friend at which, you know, we were talking about all the events, me getting sick, um, everything that happened with Isaiah and, and we got to the point that I said to him, I wouldn't change any of it. And I didn't really think of the significance of that statement at the time. Um, but the person I was talking to did and, and highlighted it. And I realize now that the sickness that I went through, although I, you know, I, I'm not contributing to that, that to God. Um, I don't believe he makes people sick. However, the closeness that I now have with daddy is, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Mm-hmm. And I know that if my boy was still alive right now, um, 
he would be facing the same struggle that he was back then. And to be frank, it was like hell on earth for a period of time. Yeah. And I know he suffered. And mm-hmm. one of the ways, uh, one of the th- ways in that he suffered was knowing how much he was making us suffer. Mm-hmm. And there's none of that for him now. Yeah. He is so free. And as a father, my greatest desire for my child is to be with Jesus. Yeah. And he has that. Yeah. And I wouldn't change it for the world because I know he's got it now. Yeah. My reality now is I have to wait. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, waiting sucks. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Mm. And yet there's grace in the middle of that too. Mm-hmm. Despite how awful things have looked, his greater good is still being worked out. Mm-hmm. And he is still navigating all of us to a magnificent, great, and glorious end. Mm-hmm. And it's okay that I'm struggling. And it's okay that it hurts because he's right there mm-hmm. to walk through it with me mm-hmm. and to hold my hand. We have a, a saying that God gave us not that long ago where we simply say, um, it's time to lie back down in the boat. And really, a lot of this journey since Isaiah passed has been us realizing we can't handle anything anymore. We've never been as emotionally fragile as we have been over this last year. And most of the times, we just lie back down in the boat and let God take us Mm -hmm. where he intends to take us. And the crazy part about it is, the more that we've done that, the more God has showed up and just been there at all the moments where we so needed him mm-hmm. with so much comfort, with a, a kind word from a friend, with um, money coming right out of the blue and we needed it. Just Yeah, there's, when you look back or when I look back on the years, I, I purposely look back to see where God showed up. Even, you know, we've, I've shared how about the emotional fragility. And at the exact same time, there is a strength that the two of us have walked in mm. that it's just, it's almost, you know, Father, I don't want to say the word uncanny, but it's, it feels really uncanny because it's not normal. <laughs> it's it, not normal that we feel so awful and so wonderful at the same time. It's not. But it, but it, but it's good. I mean, that's why I wanted to sit down and have this conversation because I've witnessed that in all of our interaction over the last year mm-hmm. is that there has been this for real present emotional pain and grief, but at the same time, this very real obvious strength and hope and joy and peace. And for you to walk in both those things at the same time is is got to be Jesus. It's you know, Jesus. In your, it in your really life. is. Um, there's going to be people listening to this who, you know, maybe they've not gone through the level of pain and grief and trial that you guys have. I mean, losing a child has got to be up there of one of the worst things that mm-hmm. a person can go through. Um, and to have the whole journey that led up to it as well that you guys did just is, it's, it's intense. Um, 
But there's going to be people listening to this who are going through hard stuff. That's mm-hmm. life. Life, yeah. life has grief and pain and difficulty and trial. Um, so whatever people might be going through that is difficult or grief, mm-hmm. um, what would be your encouragement to them or your words of advice, wisdom from your own journey, your own experience that you would want to give to those people? Um, for me, it would be what you're going through and what you're experiencing emotionally and mentally is not necessarily the truth. The truth being God is in control and you are going through things in your life, but there is a hope. There is that hope of Jesus, that hope of heaven, hope of faithfulness mm. to his word, um, even if it looks totally different than what you thought it would look like, it's still a faithfulness of God yeah. and a hope um, for eternity and the hope for um, coming alongside somebody else and supporting them. I mean, that lights my fire right now. And I think, you know, even with all this other stuff going on, that God's faithfulness, you know, there's a girl that um, came and lived with us, and she, think, three times off and on, and she had a horrific childhood um, in a many, many different ways, and she is now a functioning warrior of God. And we were able to have a place, an atmosphere in which she could thrive and grow and work so through some of this stuff. And that is exactly, you know, the hope that I have that I want to put in other kids, mm-hmm. other adults going through similar stuff, that there is that hope and faithfulness. Anything you'd want to say to somebody going through hard time, Tim? The absolute worst of the worst, the most horrific times. While I was going through it, I was so blindsided, I couldn't see anything. I I didn't know which way was up. I cannot stress enough that at the absolute worst of the worst is when Jesus was the most involved. And to anybody that's struggling, you know, it often looks when we struggle like he's either not there or we're waiting on him to move or we're waiting on something to happen. The reality is, is Jesus is intimately involved in what's going on and he's taking care of it. Mm -hmm. Well, as we uh, come to a close, it's been rich hearing you guys share. I so appreciate just the vulnerability that you bring. Uh, You open up your hearts, you open up your story Uh, And I really do believe that God is going to be using it and Mm -hmm. continue to do so uh, to give others strength and hope. I mean, the fact you guys have talked about the faithfulness of God as many times as you have during our recording, uh, considering what you've gone through is, is profound, you know? Um, But what I'd love maybe as we close, if you guys are up for it, um, either one of you or both of you pray a blessing over whoever may end up listening to this. 
All right. Daddy, this hasn't been easy. You know that. But you also gave us strength to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about you. You love us so much. You are always right there providing. And there are people that are going to hear this. And I know that you're going to ignite whatever word it is that you desire to ignite inside of them. And it's, it's going to strike a chord. And Lord Jesus, I simply ask that for whoever needs it that's listening to this, you do exactly for them what you did for us. Because mm-hmm. you have been faithful. And you have carried us and you will continue to carry us Mm -hmm. because the end of this thing is glorious and magnificent and beautiful and wonderful. And this is such a short time. So I thank you for the strength to walk through it. I thank you that it's not us mustering up strength or faith or joy. It's you providing all of those things as you come alongside us and teaching us how to walk in them. My prayer... Lord, is you've given us another opportunity to share what we've gone through and how we've gone through it. And if that even helps one other person, brings a little bit of comfort or a little bit of, um, okay, it's going to be okay. They made it through, I can make it through. Um, That is that really, really, really is important to me. And I want Isaiah's story to have that impact with whoever is in that position that needs it. There is hope. Amen. Well, thank you guys for sharing your story, lessons you've learned. And most importantly, about the goodness and the faithfulness of Jesus mm-hmm. in the midst of your journey. You're very welcome. What a moving and also encouraging story. Definitely. Uh, obviously hard, but full of grace. Yeah. I'm... Amazed at the depth of pain, how people like Tim and Jen can continue walking with God. Totally. I've seen friends or, or people in my life that have experienced not even a fraction of the hurt, and it's caused them to abandon God in the process. But with what Tim and Jen shared, there's just such a beauty to their their process. And, and clearly, they're still in a process. You don't get over something like that anytime soon, yeah. but to welcome Jesus on your journey, that's something that's really impacted me that I'll take away from this conversation, the, the testimony of a couple who have said, we're going to keep Jesus close in the midst of our pain, or maybe Tim would probably put it differently, that, that it wasn't how strong they were. He talked about the grace. Jesus kept close to them. Jesus walked with them, and they simply just turned their hearts on towards him. Definitely. There is that temptation to, you know, walk away from Jesus as a result of grief. Um, But as hopefully you heard from Tim and Jen, it's way better to walk with him in it. Yeah. 
it was beautiful as well to see, especially through Jen's reflection, some of the the goodness and the surprises, the the grace of God that's caught them off guard through this journey. And maybe you're too close to your pain to to see the redemptive side, but to anticipate God's going to do something good. Definitely. God's got a story that he's weaving through this. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. He's the redeemer. And as hurtful, as painful, as as bleak as your circumstances might be, God looks at it and he says, I can do something wonderful with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's my hope that as we come to a close on this episode today, that you guys walk away with the awareness that God is good despite whatever you're looking at in front of you right now. And he's with you. He's not distant. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us on another episode of Everyday Impact. We pray that you're blessed this week as you walk on this journey of life with Jesus at your side. Bye for now.